0: Equipped Performance Professionals, young professionals in the sports performance field sharing their stories and advice. Stay tuned to find out how their journey has equipped them to succeed, as well as the tips and advice they would give for the new professionals looking to get into the field. Welcome to Equipped Performance Professionals. This is your host, Ashley Muschiati. I'm joined today by Logan Jones. Logan is a certified strength and conditioning coach and licensed massage therapist currently working as a strength coach with the Arizona Diamondbacks. Logan, thank you for joining me today. Welcome to the show.
1: Ashley, thanks for having me on. Um, I appreciate your willingness to have me this morning and all of the impact that you're having within our industry, especially for young strength and conditioning professionals.
0: I appreciate that. I'm really excited about our conversation today and excited to let the strength and conditioning industry know more about you. So let's get started. So, what made you want to become a strength coach?
1: Yeah, uh, that's a good place to start. I I think that from an early age, uh, I just fell in love with what is the process behind development. I have a passion for development. The weight room played a integral part in my athletic career. I'd say from from the high school level on, but especially into my collegiate years, I played baseball at Guilford College in Greensboro, North Carolina, a small Division three school and uh, I, I ultimately, I think I just feel led to share that drive with others. And it, it just plays such an important uh, role into where I am now that I feel an obligation to share that with others and, and help them in any way possible.
0: That's great. So what has been your journey from when you realized you wanted to be a strength coach until where you are now?
1: Yeah, so I I really, I think I, I would say my junior year of undergrad, grad is when I really decided I wanted to be a strength conditioning coach and before that I I dabbled with the PT idea and and then I kind of realized maybe that's not the best for me and uh, so I got my exercise science health science degree at at, uh, Guilford College in Greensboro and then from there um, I had a connection at the University of Kentucky and I did a summer internship at the summer of 2017 where uh, I got my you know Got my feet wet, my first exposure to on-the-floor coaching, made some mistakes, learned from them, and really just started creating awareness for myself in my coaching eye, I guess. And then from there, I came back a little closer to home and did another strength and conditioning internship at the collegiate level at Wake Forest University in Winston-Salem. And there I took on much more responsibility. Um, I, I became responsible for coaching different groups of athletes, was assigned specific teams, uh, worked with a much larger variety of teams as well. And the expectations were just higher. I was the only intern on staff. So I think naturally it was a good progression. It was a good leeway into what is now my current full-time responsibility with the Arizona diamondbacks. And with the D backs, I think that it's for sure been the largest personal and professional growth that I've, that I have, uh, Endured to this point in my life and just incredible leadership skills, building relationships, learning all about communication, overall awareness, uh, prefer, uh, professionally and personally working as part of a team. Um, and I think that what has been the biggest takeaway for me is what's really the most important is the connection that you have with the people that you work with and that you work for, um, because I've learned that that all of the X's and O's, they, they do matter. but um, they don't matter if you can't connect them or you can't communicate those X's and O's to your coworkers, to your teammates, to your athletes. So that's kind of a little bit about how I've gotten to where I am now and why I think um, it's such an integral part into who I am today.
0: That's great. So you talked about, you were in North Carolina, went to Kentucky. What was that transition like, like moving away from home and a lot of young coaches, doing their internships, move across the country, hours away from their family, no family, no friends, usually sometimes renting an apartment. What would be some advice you would give for someone doing a long distance move for an unpaid internship?
1: Yeah, uh, a leap of faith for sure. (laughs) Uh, it, It made it a little easier. I had a Guilford College connection currently serving as an intern at in the Olympic sports sector at the University of Kentucky. So that made it a little easier, but still it was difficult. Uh, I grew up in, in a small town, went to a small liberal arts school, you know, lower level college athletics from a, from a resources standpoint. Um, not a lot of shiny equipment or whatever. Like we, we didn't even have a full-time strength and conditioning coach. So uh, I knew that it was going to be an awesome opportunity for change and I think on a personal level, you touched on it, the relocation, the unfamiliar territory. I think that that gets all of us when, when we're tasked with doing something that's outside of our comfort zone. Um, but I kind of found that in being uncomfortable, that's where the majority of the growth happens. And on a professional level, I just think that transitioning from North Carolina, then going to Kentucky um, as my first, I guess, on the job experience, then I was fortunate to come back, but then making the huge leap. To go out to Arizona. um, I just think professionally, like as you move, the stakes get a little bit higher, the the responsibility becomes a little more. And I think, regardless of what setting you work in, like from a strength and conditioning standpoint, the scheduling can be different. The access to resources are going to be different. Uh, For sure, now working in professional baseball travel uh, is is a huge aspect of it, the amount of games that we play. So I think that anytime that you're going to get up and move away from home, you have to have some degree of faith that you're making the right decision and that you're doing what's best for you in that moment. And um, if you have any amount of doubt in that, then then it's probably not the right move. And with an understanding that at the end of the day, everything is going to be all right, and we're going to be doing the best that we can with what we have. And uh, so that's just the piece of advice that I would have.
0: That's great. And you touched on something you said, being uncomfortable. I and mean, sometimes we have to do that and step out of our comfort zone. And One of my favorite quotes, I got to listen to uh, Leanne Tui from The Blind Side, and she said, nothing good ever happens in your comfort zone. So I think that's something that as strength coaches, it's a good thing to take with us is that sometimes you have to step out of your comfort zone.
1: Yeah, I I think so. And, you know, I think that that's probably a useful bit of knowledge for us to feed to our athletes. But I also think that for people – that are going to be using resources like this, like your podcast for an educational tidbit, like, hey, strength and conditioning is not the easiest uh, avenue. It's certainly not glamorous at at all times. It probably doesn't pay what you could get paid in maybe some other jobs. Like if there's any way that you're going to make it in this field, I think it's becoming uncomfortable. And, And maybe that means taking a chance here or there. Maybe that means having trust in the network that you've built. Maybe that's, having trust in your friends or in your family, whatever that means. I think it's different for everyone. But I do think that the growth lies in that uncomfortability. And that's something that we, with the Diamondbacks too, like we preach with our intern candidates that we have. It's like, hey, when you're in this position, this is the perfect time to become uncomfortable. Ask questions uh, because that's the only way to learn.
0: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Ask a lot of questions. What was one of the biggest adjustments when entering the professional sports sector?
1: Yeah. So that's a good one. I, man, there were a lot of them. (laughs) Okay. From, from a strength and conditioning standpoint, I, the magnitude of the environment, I think it would be, it was easy to, to move, come from a smaller, more homey type feel in North Carolina. I grew up in North Carolina. I've been there my entire life with the exception of uh, the one internship I did at UK. Now moving out to Arizona. Spring training's kicking up. It's January, late January, early February, 2018, and I'm like, man, I'm I'm going to spring training. Like, you know, when I was a kid, like this isn't how I envisioned going to spring training. But here we are. So I would I would just say the scheduling, uh, access to resources travel, like it it looks different at the professional level than it does at the collegiate level. We'll use baseball for example, since that's the world that I live in these days. Like at the collegiate level, high school collegiate level, you're playing anywhere from two to four games a week. And professionally we're playing uh in some cases seven games a week, in most cases probably five to six a week, depending on travel and what city we're in and where we're going to next, that type of thing. So um, it just looks a little different, and, and that means that our strength conditioning principles, our philosophy is going to adapt with that um, just to make sure that we're giving our players, our organization, uh, the most optimal plan to, to be successful. And, and their job is to play baseball, and they're they're getting paid to play baseball. So that has to take the priority for us, as it should.
0: Nice. So your internships in collegiate Olympic sports. How did that equip you to then specialize in baseball?
1: One word that comes to mind is agility uh, so it, it it looks a little different uh, I, I would say it so working work my internships at the collegiate level that agility comes from working with both male and female sports uh, having exposure to different sports you know how we make decisions for baseball is certainly going to look different than how we make decisions for women's soccer and which is going to look different than women's volleyball which is going to look different than men's cross country like we we know that like the x's and o's of strength and conditioning those things are going to look a little different but i do think that those experiences at both kentucky and wake forest set the foundation for me in which to build my career and it was only fitting that Uh, I move in the direction of baseball. Like I I grew up in a baseball family, have a baseball background. I knew that I wanted to work in baseball. So this, this was, this was perfect for me. Um, So I I just think that uh, in professional baseball, that agility looks a little different. So obviously we're working with the same group of players um, Our our, the, the players that are work for our organization that we pay to play baseball. But adjustments are made on the fly with you know if, if a game's rained out okay now we have a double header oh wait like now that gets rained out just kidding we're hopping on the bus um oh we get there that place doesn't have a weight room oh the weight room down the street's closed like looks like we're lifting in the outfield um our team meal didn't show up on time like okay well our pre-game spread going to look a, bit, a little bit different so we're gonna have to make some adjustments and that's what our post-game meal is going to look like so it's, uh, it's a different kind of agility, and I think that it's something that probably um, maybe unfortunately people aren't able to understand unless they are in that environment. But, but I can just say that for sure, without a doubt, my stops along the way, my experiences along the way have helped equip me for what it is that I'm asked to do on a daily basis with the Diamondbacks working in player development. Great answer.
0: So talk about your mentors and how they've equipped you to be successful on your own now
1: yeah that's a great question. and I think that uh, this is a soft spot for me. I, I realize that without a doubt I would not be where I am today if it weren't for the people that have helped me along the way to get here. and it starts with my parents huge positive influence for me growing up, provided me with every opportunity under the sun, instilled uh, values at an early age like hard work, trust, integrity, persistence, um, personal responsibility like all these all these foundational pieces for me that that uh, have have served me well, like we're introduced at an early age. And for that, I have my parents to thank. And then I was fortunate uh, growing up, as I mentioned, to be in baseball at an early age, playing baseball, being around a professional baseball team in the town that I grew up in. And so really all of my baseball coaches, I'll lump them all together, like all the way through college. Uh, coach Nick Black was my baseball coach at Guilford College. And I mean, from the time I played t ball all the way until the time of our, I threw my last pitch when I was a college senior, all of those guys helped me, j- I think, just find consistency in a game of failure. So like baseball is a difficult game to find regular success in. But I think, again, we talk, we had the uncomfortable Conversation a little earlier, like I think that that's part of being uncomfortable. It's like, man, no one likes to go oh for four, the four strikeouts, or you know, give up five runs in the first inning of a game. But like now, okay, so now what are we going to do? Like you know, like how are we going to move forward with that? And then uh, professionally, just the strength and conditioning staffs at at the at University of Kentucky, Wake Forest, and now my sports medicine performance team with the Diamondbacks. Uh, everyone has just played an integral role into getting me to this current point in time. And for sure, like there, there was hard work on, on my end and, and I, I needed to have my stuff together. And, you know, I was proactive and all of these things that that I think um, are encouraged of us, like as we go through our undergrad and, and graduate programs, and as we network and all these things, but at the end of the day, like it's difficult for any of us to, to get to where we truly want to be. Without some kind of assistance from others, and because of that, I have an appreciation for the people that I've had exposure to and the help that they've provided me along the way.
0: Great. So, in today's busy world, what advice do you give to keeping up with those mentors?
1: Yeah, especially now, right with COVID going on, like what a what a disaster. But no, that's a good one. I I think the first thing that just comes to mind for me is just intention i think that you have to make it a priority for yourself and and maybe uh that's difficult during times like this or like when life speeds up on you or um things aren't optimal but you can always shoot a text message make a phone call um understand that it that at some point in time these people have helped contribute to where you are so now it's no longer about you anymore. How can you repay? How can you give back? And, and maybe that looks like, uh, utilizing your resources, your mentors to set up, you know, maybe speaking engagements where you're, you're talking to your, your like a, a team that they're coaching or a group of students that they're responsible for or whatever it may be. And just find ways to give back to help in, the, in a similar fashion, leave that place better than, than you found it yourself. And, and I think it just starts with, uh, like I mentioned, just an intention. You just set that as a priority for yourself. And and when things start to speed up on you, you take a step back, you take a deep breath and you realize like, okay, like these are some things that I need to do on a personal level um, that have helped me get to where I am professionally.
0: That's great. and I definitely took a lot from that because that's one of my weak spots. You get school, life, all that. And you're like, oh, I haven't talked to anyone. And I think that's what a lot of young strength coaches are now realizing. It's like, Do I just reach out and say hi? Do I reach out and say that kind of thing? It it gets overwhelming for some young, young strength coaches. So that was good. Step back, have an intention and continue that network.
1: Yeah, I I think so. I just, you know, I, because I I realized that a lot of the times the toughest thing to do is just get started. Uh, That's with anything. Like, I mean, I remember sitting in undergrad like having an assignment like man i just i i'm not here right now i don't want to do this whatever the toughest thing to do sometimes is really just get started and i think that it makes it easier if you do have a personal connection because now it may tie to a personal value that you have or personal experience that you have so um the more difficult situations are probably where you just have like a, a loose affiliation um with someone or a team or whatever it may be and you and, Maybe you feel like, man, I'm not going to be able to contribute in any way or whatever. But but uh, regardless of where you are, I think that anyone can contribute to any one other person, any one relationship in some form or fashion. You never know in what way you're going to be able to do that. So I think that, like you said, I just think that it's important to get started and and take initiative in that way. And I think that when you take a step back and look back over your shoulder and be like, man, I'm really glad that I took the time to do that, even if I didn't feel like it in the moment.
0: Exactly. So talk about your licensed massage therapist. How has that equipped you in your strength and conditioning career? Because I think that's really cool.
1: Yeah, it's a little different. Um, it's, that's not something that you run across all the time. I, I don't think in strength conditioning. Um, and to be honest with you, it had never crossed my mind until I arrived in Arizona. In 2018, and and uh, sat down with the leaders of our sports medicine performance team, um, our big league guys, and they were just explaining how one what you know what our, our job is going to look like at this level, like what it's going to look like on a daily basis, and the importance of a team, uh, that team connection, and and like I said, it never crossed my mind, and, and this quarantine period has served as an excellent opportunity for me to finish up. My manual therapy school, I attended Phoenix College in, in Phoenix, um, and, and I was able to finish it up over the internet. We, we did all of our hands-on um, time, which was relatively lengthy this past off-season. Um, so it's been a journey. Um, it took me about a little over a year and a half. I think if, if you do it full-time, you can probably get it done in eight or nine months, um, but because of the way that our, our season laid out and, and on the road part of the time, not in Phoenix, um, it makes it difficult to get the hands-on uh, requirement like the lab hands-on time, but ultimately my massage therapy license will be used to, uh, make change in, in that way. Um, putting, putting my hands on people, soft tissue techniques, and, and, uh, it's just a tool in our toolbox to help aid in, um, the plans that we have for our players. And, and how, you know, if, if we have a guy come in that um, seems to have some soft tissue restrictions or whatever, and because of that, he can't get in this position. He can't get in that position. Um, maybe it's included as part of the warm warmup. Uh, maybe it's um, part of a recovery regen session following like a pitching outing, whatever it may be. And it's in an effort to help out our athletic trainers, our physical therapists um, in that way. And just it increases the efficiency of our team. Um, but it also just makes us as strength and conditioning coaches more versatile, too. So I think that's a big piece of it. It's just an avenue to make us a little more versatile, which I think is cool um, in its own way. But I think that it's necessary, too, um, e- even aside from a massage therapy license, just any way you can increase your versatility.
0: That's perfect. Yeah. And you see a lot more of that. You see more young strength coaches. Learning more things that may be a little bit outside of our sector but allow more cohesion in the athletic interdisciplinary team, so that's perfect,
1: yeah. Yeah, I, and another thing that I would add this just popped in my mind and it, and it fits in nicely too is every year, um, as part of our team, we're tasked with at the beginning of the season, like before spring training, it's like, hey, think of one word that, um, represent you where you're currently at right now like maybe a goal that you have for this season like what What? think of one word and how is that going to play for you over the next 12 months and before the coronavirus hit uh and it still hasn't changed my, my word was influence and, and that to me kind of ties in with my why was just that one i want to have an influence on the people that i'm exposed to on a daily basis so i guess that means for me like i can broaden uh, the horizons of the amount of people that I influence, but for sure, the magnitude of the influence I have on the people that I'm currently working with. And I think that obtaining my massage therapy license is just one way to reach that goal of increasing the magnitude of the influence. Because otherwise, you know, like, how, you know, how would I, how would I help this person that needs to be helped in this way, if I can't legally? Mm mm-hmm whereas now I'm able to do that so I think it just fits in nicely and I it just this thought just popped in my mind it fits in nicely with my influence my word of the year which was influence and moving forward in that way
0: I really like that way of thinking about it like you said choose a word for the year I think that's I've never heard that before and I really like that so I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to take that from our conversation today because
1: yeah what it, was, it wasn't my idea. So <laughs> I don't deserve the credit for it. I, I just am a beneficiary. So <laughs> No,
0: it, it's really good because it gives you not only a goal, but a direction and a reminder sometimes. Sometimes we get so caught up in what we're doing that we need to step back and remember, like you said, what our word for the year is. Are we going in the right direction? And that's a good way of seeing if you're doing what you ultimately wanted to.
1: 100%. So,
0: I like that. 100%. What is one of the biggest lessons you've learned so far in your career?
1: I think the biggest one has just got to be that that things won't always be perfect. <laughs> uh, I am a perfectionist, and I want things to run according to plan. I develop a plan, and by golly, I want it to go by that plan. And if it doesn't, then then I tradition I typically would be stressed out. Like I, that's something that, that I have learned in the the past, I would say for sure the past couple of years that I've been in this environment where you have to be able to have an ability to adapt, adjust on the fly. And if not, you're not going to be successful in working as a strength and conditioning coach in professional baseball. There's just so many things that are outside of our control. And I think that that probably is true regardless of, of the environment that you work in. Um, but especially when other people are making a lot of the decisions behind scheduling and behind travel. And like, okay, okay. We're staying in this hotel or that hotel. And like, you know, this is a time that we're going to eat. Like all these things are outside of our control. Who's going to pitch tonight? Like that's outside of our control. Okay. Like who what reliever comes in the game. That's outside of our, like all these things are, are outside of our control. And basically in season, a lot of times we turn into like what I call a stress manager, um, not a stress reducer, but a stress manager. Like we're just we're becoming aware of all these different things that could be contributing to uh, whether you call it like fatigue or, or whatever, like a lack of readiness. Um, and we adjust. So I think the biggest thing is, is I've learned that things aren't going to be always perfect and, and probably more often than not, they're for sure not going to be perfect. And that doesn't mean that we don't have a plan. It just means that we have an ability to adjust, adapt from that plan that we have in place without losing our cool, without getting sped up, just learn to slow it down a little bit. And that's something that I've struggled with um, for some time. And I think that because of that, I'm able to relate to others that maybe find themselves in that position, um, which which is why I feel comfortable talking on it.
0: Nice. That's great. And going along with that, I think one of the lessons I've learned, and it plays hand in hand, is not to be too hard on yourself. So, like you said, not everything's going to go as planned. And I had an experience where that happened. And then the rest of the day, I harped on myself because I was like, it needed to be perfect. And it wasn't. And then you're like, Ashley, you're a year one coach. Like everything, especially even veterans, aren't going to have everything go perfect. And so, realizing that you don't have control over everything, like you said, and that even though you may be a perfectionist as a coach to realize that everyone is going to have those experiences and to not be too hard on yourself. So I think those two played hand in hand and I really liked your lesson there. So.
1: Yeah, actually that, that's a good point too. Cause I'm, I'm right there with you. Like I, I think that I'm my own biggest critic and I think that it probably serves you and I well, Uh, The majority of the time, like it it keeps us on track, it keeps us um, efficient and um, like lack of production, like what a lack of productivity is not going to ever be an issue. Mm -hmm. But if abused, just like most good things, it can start to play against you. And if you're, if you're too busy um, beating yourself up over something small that I don't know, may or may not even matter uh, in the grand things, then then maybe it's taking away from an opportunity to learn or an opportunity for you to impact someone else. Um, So I think it's just like anything else that that is a probably seen as a good trait to have. You just have to keep it intact and not allow it to go overboard. So now it has playing a detrimental in a detrimental way against you. So that was a great point.
0: Absolutely. Thank you. Um, So as a young strength coach, it's sometimes hard or sports performance professional in general, it's sometimes hard to identify our weaknesses. How do you spot or reflect on your own weaknesses and areas of improvement?
1: So this goes back to the the uh, uncomfortability, I think, um, because and I know I don't know what what my weaknesses are. Like that's not a comfortable place to be unless you understand the benefits behind that. And I think that year one, Logan would have not understood that one bit and would have been fixated on, man, I don't like this. I would be just fine without doing any kind of evaluation, whatever, whatever. Uh, but now I for sure, 100% understand the value of constructive criticism, feedback in general, both positive, you know, positive, negative, whatever it may be, and understanding that that feedback whether it's coming from a person that you trust or not is one person's perspective. It's one person's opinion. Um, And and it's really up to you at the end of the day to determine like, okay, eight different people are telling me the same thing. I should probably take a step back, reassess, reevaluate, see in what way I can improve. um, But not necessarily take what anyone says as gospel either. So um, I've been extremely fortunate, as I've mentioned that one of our, uh, I guess, pillars of our sports medicine performance team with the Diamondbacks is on an, at least bare minimum on an annual basis. Um, in a lot of cases, it's periodically throughout conversation. Um, but in, on an annual basis, officially, we do staff emails. So that's where we we do strengths, areas of improvements, uh, general comments on each one of our teammates. And again, that's just our own perspective, our own opinion, our own point of view on Maybe some things that they do really well, some things that they can continue to improve on, and then just our general thoughts on that and and I think that again, I, I've just been the beneficiary of that, in no way was I responsible for developing that, but I think in, a, in an environment maybe where that's not a thing, like say you work somewhere and you're like, man, we don't really have any any evaluation process we don't I don't have any way for me to organically understand what my weaknesses are. I think that you just are proactive and you ask people that you trust, like, hey, where can I improve? Um, and you ask the people that you trust because then you're going to take what they tell you and you can make those adjustments. But you want to make sure that you're asking people that are going to tell you the truth too. Absolutely. So maybe your best friend is the best, or, or maybe they're not, uh, depending on that relationship that you have with them. But I think people that you trust within the end, either within the industry or in your life, and then you can say, in what way can I improve? And then from there, you can make those adjustments. You can take those ideas and ask someone else, hey, I was told that I'm not good at um, looking people in the eye, making a, co- a direct eye contact or projecting my voice when I'm talking with people. Do you see that in me too? Or whatever it may be. And from there, you're able to start creating this like list of things. that These are some things that I may not be good at and adjust from there.
0: That's great. That's really great advice. And I hope our listeners are writing stuff down because... That even just talking to people, it doesn't have to be a formal evaluation. And you know who some of the people that will tell it how it is are athletes. <laughs> those are some of the oh, yeah. oh, those are some of the most critical. And but you get some good feedback from them too. So, like Logan said, be proactive and don't be afraid to ask. Everyone has weaknesses. No one's perfect, and all the veterans in the field will tell you that too. So, as young coaches, be don't be scared to
1: improve yourself. So- yeah, and building off of that too, like what you touched on earlier is like don't beat yourself up over over what you get either. I mean, I like I think that that uh, it's important to note that man, especially like with our staff evals, you get thirty opinions, you have thirty different things, thirty Ooh. different streams, <laughs> but you have thirty different areas of improvements too, and and, and for sure you see some. Uh, reoccurring themes, which, which is excellent. Cause you're like, man, this is probably for sure something that I need to work on. And through that, you just create this self-awareness. Like for the most part, you're like, man, yeah, I already knew I probably wasn't the best at that. Um, but maybe not, maybe it's a blind spot, but I think what's important is that you don't beat yourself up over it either. Um, and just understanding that, that for sure, any kind of growth has to come from a place of imperfection or a place of um inadequacy or whatever it may be and that doesn't mean you're not enough for your job or you're not good enough to coach your athletes you're not a good enough person whatever like I think it's important to like put it in perspective a little bit too like let's not beat ourselves up over it let's just utilize it as a tool for improvement
0: absolutely so you mentioned year one Logan what's something looking back at that year one or at your internships that you wish you would have done differently or that you learned from that you now take with you into your future career, looking back something that you wish you would have done differently.
1: For me, it would just have to be keeping an open mind, having an open mind um, and understanding that with strength conditioning, with life, with with whatever, there's no right or wrong answers. It's just what that person in their current spot, working with their current group of athletes and their current environment finds most optimal. And, And it's not, like I, I remember thinking back to my days at Kentucky and even Wake Forest of being an intern. So for sure, as we always should be listening like two, three, four times as much as we speak and trying to take in as much information as possible. So then we can form our own opinions and our own um, avenues in which to operate. But I remember thinking like this is this is the way to do it. this is the way to train the volleyball player. Like this is the way to run the FMS screening, or this is the way to, um, coach the squad. And I'm like, at that time, that, that was, that was my ride. That was my thing. But then I went to Wake Forest. and I was like, wait a minute. Like these, these coaches are coaching me in a different way. They, this is a different environment, different athletes. Um, and then now transitioning to my time with the diamondbacks, it, it, it looks way different. Like the the training itself just looked different. Philosophies are different. So I'm like, wait a minute. Like, for example, we we don't do the FMS anymore with the Diamondbacks. We did it um, my first season, and then we decided to go away from it just because we didn't have any actionable steps that we could take with our population and our environment. And that doesn't mean that the FMS is in any way a bad uh, mechanism to evaluate, or it doesn't even mean that it doesn't work for a baseball population. It just means for us, we didn't have. The steps that we needed to take from the numbers that we were getting in order to continue to utilize our time conducting that. So that's just an example of of having an open mind and understanding that there's no right or wrong answers. Because at the end of the day, what we're, we're just tasked with doing what's most optimal for the people that you're in charge of. Um, and and I think that it, as long as you can answer the question of why you're doing something, you, you, you're not going to go wrong. And and uh, if there's just like a, a I guess final bit to this of having an open mind. It's just I feel like I need to do a better job of listening, um, and, and that's still to this day. Like I, I feel like a lot of the times I listen to respond instead of listen to understand and then <laughs> formulate a response. Um, it, it's like I find myself listening without really listening. You know, I'm not present in the moment, mm-hmm. and it costs me in my ability to communicate and my ability to understand. And then like, I'm asking the same question like two days later because I didn't listen to to what was just uh, said, you know, and, and that can that can cost you down the road. Like all, you, all it takes sometimes is losing an athlete or losing a coach or whatever. And, and then it's very difficult to earn that trust back. Um, so I feel like the more that you can be in the present moment, listen, have an open mind, the better off you're going to be. And that's something that I've learned but it took a little while. I, I didn't have that when I went to Kentucky and that would have made me a better intern there. It would have made me a better intern at Wake Forest. And, and it had, I had that earlier on in my time with the Diamondbacks, it would have made me a better employee, a better strength coach then as well. Um, but it's a process. And again, you can't beat yourself Absolutely.
0: up. But... Absolutely a process. And I think that's a process, especially a lot of people today are having, is just being in the moment. And I think how you captured it was great. So perfect answer. Let's take a step back from the professional aspect of it. In today's crazy world and with coaches in general, sometimes we don't always put ourselves and our families as a priority. And as a young coach, that sometimes can take a toll on us. And I mean, it can take a toll on anyone, but as young coaches, sometimes it's harder to, it takes longer to realize How have you learned either from your mentors or from past experience to be the best person in the job and then also back at home?
1: This is a million dollar question right here. Uh, (laughs) Everyone's looking for the secret.
0: If you have the secret, we'll keep it and we'll like charge for people to listen to it and then we'll make some good money.
1: (laughs) We'll bottle it. We'll bottle it up. But (laughs) no, unfortunately, I don't know that I have the secret. Um, you know, I can just speak to my own experiences. I think th- this is a really this is a touchy one because as young people in this profession, really everyone, but especially young people in this profession, we want to make a positive impact. So we want to have a good first impression. We want to be the person that. Works the hardest, works the most hours, uh, like I touched on earlier with influence, has the greatest influence on the people that we're working with. We want to walk away at the end of the day knowing that we made improvement on on where the current situation, you know, it, then when the day started. Um, so I think that that is a driver for maybe some of the decision-making that goes into what's where strength and conditioning professionals or where sports performance professionals or really just people in athletics in general find themselves because it's a results-based industry. Like we're at the end of the day, like you either get results or like, okay, we'll find someone else who can get the results. And, 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 and then like our, our wiggle room in that is finding the most optimal way to get those results. But I think it ultimately in regards to, professional life personal life I think it just boils down to your priorities again and I keep I feel like I keep coming back to that or at least I touched on it earlier is you just have to set your priorities for yourself whatever whatever that may be and there's there's no right or wrong and if you say hey I love my job but my family is the most important thing to me in my life or hey I live all the way across the the country from my family. So I, I don't have that obligation at home. I'm single, whatever. Okay. My job is 100% where my focus is, whatever it may be. Again, there's no right or wrong. It's just, you have to ha- have whatever priorities in place. You have to set them where you don't allow uh, wiggle room within that. And you remind yourself often of what your priorities are. So it's like, if I think that my family is the most important things to me, then I'm not going to allow anything with my job, regardless, to negatively affect my at-home life, my family life, my my life, my uh, life with my fiance, with my parents, with my wife, with my girlfriend, with my husband, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. Um, that's important that you don't allow the wiggle room within those priorities that you set, with the understanding of only you have the power to adjust what's important to you because you're the only one in your shoes. Um, but unfortunately I don't think I have the magic sauce with that one. I just, I just have found that if you clearly, you know, whether you write it down, speak it out loud, the people you work with, whatever it is clearly define, okay, this is priority number one. This is priority. This is priority number three. And like in this order, then never am I going to allow, allow number three to overtake number one and negative negatively affect my life in that way. Um, and then you can just look to build. Off of one another, like okay, now I'm, I'm I'm I have this under control. Now let me take on a little more responsibility. Okay, now i have this under control. Let me take on a little more responsibility. Um, I've just found that to be probably the most beneficial, rather than trying to like take it all in at one time. And and now I'm programming for someone at 11:45 p.m. when I envisioned I was supposed to be sleeping, but I, I forgot that I have to wake up at 3:45 for a 5 a.m. lift. Like you know what I mean? it gets all out of whack pretty quick if you don't set those priorities.
0: Absolutely. That was great. So time comes, move on, move up in the ladder. What is this one piece of advice that you would leave on the sticky note of your desk for the young coach that fills that chair tomorrow?
1: This is a great question. I think this is an an important one too, especially when you're, talking with younger people like So I, I throw us into that. I think that it's important to emphasize that you have got to love what you're doing. If you don't love what you're doing and you're not all in, you've got to find another Avenue. As I mentioned earlier, that like in most cases, this job is not glamorous enough. It doesn't pay well enough to struggle through um, and find yourself unhappy. And, and everyone always says that like if you enjoy what you do, if you love what you do, you're never gonna have uh any issues like you're not gonna you're not gonna find yourself in a in a place where you're unhappy and I think that that holds true probably more than ever with our profession, where maybe the hours look a little different, maybe you have to work on holidays uh maybe um you have to you're asked to do things that they are outside of your whatever your typical job responsibility are so I think that the one thing that I would for sure emphasize You've got to enjoy, you've got to love what you do. And if not, no problem. Just, just find another Avenue, find something that you do love that you do enjoy doing. Um, because time, time goes very quickly. I found that out, uh, recently it, it just like, it seems like every year it picks up and, and ultimately it's just not worth it. If you don't enjoy what you're doing, if you don't enjoy putting on your clothes every morning and going into work and working with the people that you work with work or enjoy working for the people that you work for, with the athletes, you have an opportunity to to have your hands on and, and make an impact in that way. Like it's just, it's not going to pay dividends for you in the long run. So I think that creating that awareness and having that um, sense of honesty within yourself to identify that is a good place to start.
0: That's great because if you don't love what you do, those five a.m. wake up, four or five a.m. wake up calls are horrible. (laughs) And you don't want to go through life dreading that alarm in the morning. I think you put it perfectly. So i like to finish with some fun questions. If you could choose any movie title that already exists for the story of your life, what would it be and who would play you?
1: You know, this is a really tough one because I'm not a movie junkie. Um, I have not spent my quarantine hours watching movies. The majority, to be honest with you, the majority of my of my free time in quarantine has been listening to podcasts, which I've I've picked up that that uh, I don't know that curiosity. Like I wasn't a big podcast either. I either. I like to read books and stuff like that, but but I've picked up on the podcast. So I apologize if if my movie answer is not optimal. No, you're fine. <laughs> in thinking of this question, like I think that it's fair that the movie includes baseball or that it's a baseball movie, mm-hmm. given the way that i currently am. So I'd have to go with the original Sandlot movie. Not the Sandlot 2, because the Sandlot 2 is not as good as the Sandlot. Um, but I, it's not a perfect fit. It's a solid representation. I just think that it's a similar story with me growing up and and being with my friends, getting after it on the baseball field during the summer. And, and Benny, who is the main character, ended up playing in the big leagues. And I work in Major League Baseball. So again, it's not a perfect fit, but I think it's a solid representation of how I've gotten to where I am today and then my current situation.
0: Perfect. And who would you want to play you? And okay, so this is with the Sandlot, which character would you want to be and who would play you?
1: Yeah, I would say I would say Benny, Benny the Jet Rodriguez. The Jet was kind of his nickname, but uh, I would say that. Either I would play him, he would play me, whatever. I, they're interchangeable, I guess. But I just think that, that I, can re, I, re, I love that movie and I relate to a position, his position of having influence on his friends and on his team because I feel like I was in a similar position growing up. And while I never even remotely got close to playing in Major League Baseball, as he did at the end of the movie, I think that it's kind of fitting that I work in Major League Baseball, which I think is a cool... Um, Again, it's not perfect, but I think that it fits nicely or at least it's as close as I could get with my uh, non-movie watcher mentality.
0: No, that's great. That's a great one. So if you were a teacher in school, what subject would you teach and why?
1: Well, I would probably go away from something strength and conditioning. I would say something where I can talk on leadership or communication uh and it goes back to that connection piece i think of just having the influence and having tough conversations with people that are uh easily influenced and that i feel like i could have that impact on with them going into um like where where, it depends on like what level of school i guess we're talking here but if it were a high school then then I think a leadership communication class would be nice, a nice segue into their college years and then into their deciding what it is that they want to do with their life one day.
0: Nice. And so last one, what's one book, or like you said, you've been listening to podcasts, uh, clinic conference certification, um, that you feel has played a big role in equipping you.
1: This, this is a really tough one because I think that a lot of things played an integral part in equipping me for where I am now. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are two or three books that I came up with that have, that have really set the foundation for me. It's tough to single out a, a podcast or a clinic or a conference, just because I feel like there's something you can take away from all literally. Um, but I think if I had to name two or three books, they would be these extreme ownership, by Jocko Willing, great one, great book. Awesome book, uh, good to great by Jim Collins, and then the last one would be Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss, and those are three that that uh, I've read multiple times each and have played a integral part, in, probably more on a personal level than professionally, but I think that that one for sure builds on the other and. And uh, just book the good reads, like not too difficult, not too long. And and that you can for sure take notes when you, when you read them too, because there's a lot to take from it.
0: That's great. Yeah. I have not, not read the last two, but I have read extreme ownership and that one is really good. They, uh, when I was interning at Clemson uh, coach Buley and coach Cunningham within their basketball program, incorporated that book into our weekly curriculum. So we had, Chapters we had to read, and then we broke down each chapter and discussed it. And I think it'd be really cool to go back and reread that now, a few years later. But the other ones you listed off sounded really good too, so I'm def- definitely going have to have- definitely going to have to check those out. So that's
1: perfect. Extreme, extreme ownership is, is like it's just great. Those guys taking their military experience and, and translating that over to the, like the civilian population and the lessons learned is just um whether whether you're a military person or not it just i think that there's a there's something that regardless of what your responsibility what your your job is what the people that you work with like you can take something from that and you will be better at the conclusion of reading that book than you were before you started which i think is really neat.
0: Yeah, it's really good. I definitely encourage people to look up those three books because i think a lot of people in my opinion start with just strength conditioning books. And sometimes you got to branch out and learn more personal development. I'll make sure that our listeners have a way of looking into those too. So, Perfect. thank you so much for joining me today. It was great talking to you on the show. How can people get a hold of you? How can people reach out if they want to learn more about you?
1: Yeah, so I, I think probably the, the easiest way is by email, or I am on, I'm pretty active on social media. So, either of those two options. Email or social media, Twitter, Instagram, whatever it may be. Um, I'm, I'm pretty active on there and would be more than happy to help anyone in any way that they feel um, I can help. Or if you have any, after listening to this, if you have any suggestions for me or ways that I can improve, those are also welcome.
0: Perfect. Well, I really appreciate your time and thank you for talking to me today. I really enjoyed it.
1: For sure. Ashley, thanks again for having me on and kudos to you for your work and your influence that you're having on young professionals within our industry. Keep up the great work.
0: Thank you for listening to Equipped Performance Professionals. Make sure to visit www.ashleymuschiati.com and subscribe to receive updates when new episodes are released. You can also follow me on Twitter at at coach underscore Ashley M for all podcast updates.